AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Michael Martin. Michael is the CEO of Rapid SOS. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, JP. Great to be here. Now it's our pleasure. Um, so, Michael, let's start with yourself. Can you give us a background of your journey in technology? Where you first got started? What got you interested? Talk us through some of the roles that you've held along the way, leading up to just before your, your CEO role at um, Rapid. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a rural farming community in uh, southern Indiana, and it was, I think, a you know, pretty amazing place to grow up as a child. Now, it wasn't particularly tech forward. <laughs> You know, uh, although today I think the tractors have come a long way and uh, <laughs> with the uh, autonomous technology, but um, but it was a place where I learned kind of the, the importance and value of community. And that would be, I think, a core pillar ultimately for the work that we do at Rapid SOS today, which we'll probably talk a little bit uh, later. Um, so after, you know, growing up on a farm, I, I was always kind of a total nerd, <laughs> I would say. So, you know, my brother was a standout uh, high school athlete. I was the guy who would, uh, you know, out of school dance in middle school, play chess in the corner. <laughs> so I uh, wasn't always the coolest kid. Uh, but um, uh, after uh, growing up there, went away to college at a small school in Minnesota, uh, and then ultimately came to New York City to work in venture capital, um, where, you know, I think I'd always been very fascinated, very fascinated with how we can harness technology to try to solve big challenges. And, um, and so initially it was focused on kind of energy innovation, um, but that was also where, you know, I, I had my first experience with, you know, what it's like to call 911 in an emergency and the realization that our US 911 infrastructure really dates back to the 1960s and all the challenges that that presents for the heroic first responders across the United States and for the roughly 250 million Americans that need help every single day. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And um, I think you do yourself a, a disservice by, by not highlighting the fact that as a CEO of a health tech company, you've, you've certainly become somewhat, somewhat cooler now than maybe in your, in your <laughs> earlier years. Um, so look, you, you gave us a little bit of insight into the origins behind Rapid SOS. So could you take us through that thought process where, where the idea first came about, um, the circumstances that led you to decide to launch your own organization? And then most importantly, what's the mission of the organization? What are you guys doing? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, so I was in New York City working in venture capital and, and was just walking home late one night um, to my apartment and, you know, it was probably 2 a.m. And I had basically my welcome to New York City mugging experience. <laughs> and it was the, the first time I'd ever really thought about GP about like calling 911. And first time I realized like in the middle of an emergency, whatever that emergency is, whether it's an assault, a kidnapping, a heart attack, like it is difficult to like somehow get out your phone, dial a number, and have this coherent conversation, right? I mean, it, it, you know, it was in that moment that I started thinking more about this. Now, Uber had just come out, and originally I thought this was a user experience question, right? Like I could press a button, 
and get a car, why couldn't I press a button and get police fire EMS? And so um, from that experience, started kind of trying to dig in more on this. So I had a rule that I needed to talk to at least 10 911 agencies per week. And very quickly, it became apparent that this wasn't really a UX question. This was a national infrastructure challenge with you know, over 70,000 first responders across the United States and obviously many more globally. They were managing 250 million emergencies a year in the United States, over 2 billion globally all through this 1960s analog voice-based system. And it is remarkable how well it works in light of that challenge. But really, it, it was so apparent, like there's so much need for technology here to partner with those first responders to help everyone in emergencies. Yeah, I, I think you touch on a very important point, which is often the, the foundation of any great disruption idea it's identifying a problem uh, and looking at how can technology improve the service and i think you've certainly hit the nail on the head with, with rapid sos so that was the origins behind it can you give us some insight into how you guys are utilizing data and technology to improve this service which hasn't changed all that much in in the better half of 60 years yeah and i think um you know that started with Again, like each of those conversations. So after that experience, you know, and talking to all these 911 agencies, my, my, my father actually had a separate incident where he fell off the roof of our childhood home um, in the middle of a snowstorm. He was home alone by himself and, um, you know, didn't have an ability to reach 911 until, you know, several hours later, my mom came home and, and was able to try to warm him while frantically calling 911. So I think, you know, those experiences really crystallized in me like the importance of, of, of this particular, of these moments, right? The 250 million moments a year that, that, that we face in emergencies. And, you know, I think then it was all these conversations with first responders and 911 agencies and trying to do at least 10 a week and then going ultimately to, to grad school um, where I met my co-founder and we built a growing team uh, out of MIT and Harvard where we really started actually spending even more time with, first responders and public safety to understand the magnitude of that, that challenge. Um, so during the summer of grad school, I, I actually borrowed my dad's Prius and, and, and uh, drove over 3,000 miles meeting with 911 agencies along the way. And you know, I will never forget, JP, like one of the first calls I listened in on was a mom who called after her son had committed suicide. And you can imagine she was hysterical. Um, screaming for help on the phone. I, I, I actually took off my headset and I walked outside. I, I couldn't last more than 15 seconds, you know. And um, the 911 telecommunicator had to stay on the phone for the next nine minutes, figure out the woman's address, and then stay with her, you know, until the ambulance arrived. And then she did that for the rest of her 12-hour shift for $38,000 a year, right? So it was in that moment where I realized, like, this wasn't just a tech or data challenge. Like this was how do we partner with these heroes on the first lines to drive and help make their jobs a little bit easier? How do we get the right data to the right place at the right time? So you can imagine in this case, a live video feed of that lifeless child from you know, some sort of camera system or something would not have been helpful, right? Versus like we were talking to some of the first responders in a few of the more recent active shooter tragedies and Again and again, we heard about how SWAT teams were going in totally blind, JP. Like they, they, they literally, you know, were listening to gunshots 
is they're rounding corners and trying to figure out where the shooter was, right? And in those scenarios, right, our schools have camera systems. Every, every student has a smartphone, right, with cameras. So in that scenario, right, getting that data into the hands of the SWAT team as they're in route could totally transform outcomes. So we, we ultimately would spend um, about eight years building out a data framework for emergency response. It was all about the right data, the right place at the right time. Studied 12 and a half million 911 calls when we were in grad school. Actually would listen in on the calls, in many cases time every single question that that 911 telecommunicator would ask. And then we would look like, you know, if they're asking like, what is your age? You know, are you breathing right now? Like, do you have pre-existing health conditions? How could we answer those questions with data so that we could actually potentially skip the question, you know, and, and, and move faster to get to response? Um, and so that kind of was the underpinnings of the technology and how we thought about the data. And, and so it was not <laughs> where I started from was data is going to solve the, you know every problem here. <laughs> and where I got to was just this really humbling moment sitting with 911 telecommunicators and learning just how extraordinarily difficult that job is. And that we were going to have to be really thoughtful about how we integrated data and technology to really help them do their jobs and not to cause, you know, additional challenges for them. Yeah, I think it's sobering to, to hear about the, the, the reality of that role and feeling those calls all the time. But then when you think about the mechanics of how many questions are asked that could easily be answered with just data that's readily available by bringing together various data sources. Um, staying on that point, could you give us some insight into some of the exciting projects that you're currently working on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, maybe almost if I, if I can just like crystallize that challenge slightly further, I think um, I, I, since I'm a data nerd, uh, you know, I'll actually kind of share some of the, the stats around this. So um, on a typical 911 call, the entire data payload is limited to 512 bytes of data. Now, you know, we don't think about bytes of data anymore, right? Like we're doing this during COVID, so we're both remote, so we're streaming this, this interview. It's probably 100 megabytes per second for both of us, right? That's like 100 million bytes of data every single second. But when your life is on the line, we go back to this 1960s analog-based system. And just to put that in perspective, those 512 bytes of data are actually less data than was transmitted in the very first transatlantic telegram between the Queen of England and President Buchanan in 1858, right? So it's just extraordinary the work that 911 and first responders do to save 200 plus million lives a year with basically no data coming through, right? I almost think of it, it's almost like, a, I had a, you know, a customer that kind of gave me this idea. It's like an hourglass basically, right? Like around us is all this information, right? Like data from 20 billion connected devices today. Like I'm wearing a, you know, an Apple watch. I have a smartphone. This apartment I'm in has a smoke alarm system. The building's connected, right? all this data and then for the 911 agency they have increasingly sophisticated systems but between the two is this drip 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 of an analog phone line and so that analogy. was the challenge that we had to really focus on, on on figuring out how we could solve and so one of the things we learned when we were out visiting with all these 911 agencies during grad school is that you know every municipality is a little bit different every system's a little bit different you have to think about kind of that local community and experience. So the type of emergencies that, you know, a 911 agency in the mountains of Colorado deals with are going to be very different from the types of emergencies that say the New York City 911 center manages. 
So we ultimately figured out that we were going to have to embed this data flow inside the existing software systems that run at 911 agencies. And so that also would take a number of years to partner with over 100 different software vendors, ultimately integrating into around 10,000 different public safety software systems. And again, like you're going to want that data at the right place at the right time. So maybe location of the, is very important in the first software system, like the phone system, basically. But then like medical data is pretty important, maybe out into the ambulance, as an example, right? So thinking about that end-to-end -end data stream. And so just to kind of um, wrap on, on, on your original question, JP, like what we're thinking about now, today the Rapid SOS Emergency Response Data Platform powers about 4,800 911 agencies, covering approximately 92% of the US population. We've just started to launch in several international markets as well. So we're, we're powering over 90% of data across the US 911 system today. And we're really working on how do we bring more and more content and information into all that infrastructure that we've been building over the last eight years with $100 million of, of research and development at this point. So a few examples of that, after COVID hit, we partnered with Apple to figure out how we could get um, medical ID and, and, and help information that users opt into sharing into the hands of 911 in an emergency. So things like pre-existing health conditions, allergies, medications, et cetera. We've worked with the Red Cross on some similar sort of work. We just signed um, uh, SiriusXM, which is the largest connected vehicle safety platform in the United States. So now for 10 million vehicles, if they're in a crash, again, no need to kind of in the middle of that crash, figure out how to verbally articulate and call 911 the data instantly on the screen of police, fire, EMS. So much faster, more effective response. So that's what we're thinking about today is, is, is looping in that whole ecosystem. You go back to this analogy, right? All this data that exists around us, getting that directly into the hands of 911 when it matters most. It's incredible. And I can't help but think the the greatest business ideas often seem so obvious after somebody has implemented them. It's, it's amazing to see that before Rapid, we were still dealing with such an old analog system. But it's, I'm relieved to hear that somebody like you is out there and is part of this digital transformation because Lord knows we'll all benefit from it. Um, you talked about the data. You, you talked about you're a data guy at heart yourself. So I want to get the, a look behind the scenes because how data science and analytics is driving the value and how you've created value for the product and service with, with the use of data science. We aren't a data company in the sense that we actually discard our data um, after it goes through our pipes into 911. Um, we briefly retain it uh, in case uh, 911 needs it for an ongoing incident. But where we are absolutely a data company is that we went, we, we transformed a system that was previously analog voice-based into a rich data framework. So that's where we had to really study the human data interface. So, and, and really in one of the most challenging environments that you can imagine, JP, right? Like, you know, it's okay if on a regular website, like if they don't have the user experience totally nailed, right? It's okay if like you click a link and it doesn't work, but in, heart attack, which is the leading cause of death in the United States, every minute that you get to that victim faster reduces mortality rates by approximately 7%. So if we mess up the user interface, right, and, and as a result, that, that ambulance arrives one minute later, you're talking about over 2,000 additional fatalities a year. So we had to spend a tremendous amount of energy 
on thinking about the, you know, how do you operationalize that content and make it useful across the 911 flow. So we, we do have a, you know, a large um, product team, a large design team. We work very closely with the public safety community. We have approximately 5,000 first responders that served as beta testers or early users of the platform. Um, today, we work very closely with um, 150 or so top thought-leading 911 agencies on new product development, testing, integration, et cetera. Um, our, 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 our team spends approximately 25,000 hours a year out in the field with 911 agencies and first responders trying to think about, you know, how do we kind of continue that evolution of data into 911 and first responder systems? And then we do have a small data science team that also helps us think about you know, the right data, the right place at the right time. Amazing, and thank you for that. So you, you touched on uh, look, data flow and data ingestion and building a, a data science team is more than just your data scientists. It's the, the ETL pipeline engineers, it's the, it's the analysts, it's the visualization side, and it's the back end and front end. So can you talk to us uh, from your perspective of, of what the ideal data team looks like and how you go how you've gone about building it and how you effectively manage it yeah you know i think that there are you know you know kind of a couple different pillars to that ideal data science team um and i think that you know on, on a foundation if you will if i'm going to build my data science house here the foundational leverage is you know taking on a meaningful challenge that's really worth solving i think I hope we can continue to advance technology to solve big problems in the world. And then I think you have a pillar, you know, on the left side here, perhaps, that, that, that's really about, you know, partnering with a user community that is involved in that challenge. So for us, that meant, as I mentioned, over, you know, over 100,000 hours since inception out in the field with 911 and first responders to understand, like, how can we bring the power of data to solve their challenge and how can we implement that in an impactful way? You know, I think, I think the middle core pillar there is obviously team, right? So you need a team that brings that expertise to take on and make, you know, make all that happen. And I think, you know, for us, that team um, has multiple subcomponents. So, you know, it, it, it's a product team that's working on the interfaces into these various systems, working on the usability, the user experience, et cetera. It's a core data science team that understands how do we, you know, what is our approach to data where we can maximize the impact we can have with it. And then obviously it's an engineering organization that can actually do all the nuts and bolts to make all that plumbing work. And in our case, in a, you know, intense mission critical environment sort of way where uptime, reliability, et cetera, really matters. And then the third, you know, the third pillar here, I think is a commitment to learning, meaning that, you know, the power of data is that we're always getting new insights from it, more and more information, right? Um, the data in our world is growing exponentially right now. And so we have to, across this entire foundation of our data organization, think about how can we learn every step of the way here um, to continue to drive towards that mission, which in the case of Rapid SOS is protecting communities, families, partnering with 911 to make our world safer. I think that that's some incredible advice. Uh, I think a lot of people could really benefit and learn from from how you've laid it out there based on on building the core foundational pillars. Um, so look, you 
founded Rapid in, in December of 2012, so we're, we're fast approaching the, the, the eight-year mark now. It, it would be great to understand, you know, you've, you've talked about some of the milestones, and it's, clearly it's been very successful, but it'd be good to understand some of the challenges that you've faced along the way, um, particularly uh, early on in your career. Yeah, um, there's plenty of challenges, you know, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges was me. <laughs> so, you know, I'd never, you know, I obviously never been a CEO before. I also never really led anyone, right? Like, I mean, I've worked in venture capital, which means I'd had this great opportunity and privilege to work with really innovative CEOs. But I mean, if you think about like, who worked with me in that job, right? Maybe I had an intern or an analyst reporting to me. <laughs> So one of the things when I when it occurred to me like the magnitude of the challenge in the new year from all those conversations with 911 telecommunicators is, is that was a core driver for me to go to business school and really focus on you know how do we think about building and leading and, and empowering an organization to try to take on a big challenge. The next challenge for me was I have no real skills. <laughs> Even though I love data, I am not an engineer, you know, so um, when I was in grad school in Cambridge, I ended up spending going to every single event at MIT that I possibly could, you know, and ultimately that's where I met Nick Horlick, my co-founder, who was doing his PhD in nuclear engineering there at the time, and it had some similar experiences with this challenge. And so really it was, you know, Nick that became our foundation and the brains behind how do we build and operationalize all this technology and data and build an organization around that. So I think, you know, um, for, for me personally, there were plenty of challenges and there continue to be And how do I, you know, continue to learn and, and grow and expand. Rapid SOS today is over 150 people across the United States and, and in, a, um, in a few international countries. So continuing that, that transition, right, from founder um, to ultimately partnering and enabling a team and organization. I think the, the, the next big challenge that we had to think through a lot was, you know, learning about the public safety industry. You know, I, I, I think, um, approached it with a degree of arrogance that was <laughs> totally we shouldn't have had and i think one of the things we learned over those four years those first four years of where we were just trying to get out and talk to every single 911 official that we could was that all of our preconceived notions right the data was going to magically solve every problem here just throw it over the wall right we're like these right 26 year old kids we're going to tell you how technology can solve all your problems right was totally off base, right? And what we learned was that we were gonna need to partner with this industry. And what was amazing about that, JP, was how the industry rallied around that. So as I mentioned, we'd ultimately work with over 5,000 first responders to build the core technology. The first iteration, we were actually initially a mobile app for the consumer. You could basically you know, press a button and get a response. And what we learned from the 9-1 community is that that wasn't nearly good enough, right? Like we, we were never gonna solve this problem which exists for everyone in the United States and ultimately everyone globally unless we could work with major technology companies like Apple and Google to, to do that. Um, so I think you know, learning how to work with public safety and to be partners with them, their software vendors, that whole community was, was absolutely critical for us. Um, and then I think the, you know, the, the, the last piece was thinking about how we could also enable and build you know the, the, this platform so we had this kind of big if you will almost chicken and the egg problem right so um in order for me to kind of push data into all the 911 agencies like you know i've got to have data <laughs> 
to feed in there or else if you're a 9 one agency it's not worth doing the work to integrate our technology right um and if you're a big you know big data source for us if you're someone that's trying to save the lives of your users like say an apple was or someone like that who's you know, one of our larger customers for them they don't want to share any content with us unless i can deliver it for every one of their 911 calls so how did you solve that chicken and the egg thing it was a major challenge for us um and, and, and fortunately you know once again we it was this community approach getting back to your original question about kind of growing up in rural indiana and learning the power of community I think you know, we ultimately had to apply a community-centric approach to solving this challenge, meaning that we were never gonna get there if it was just us and 911, or if it was just us and big tech. You know, it was gonna take all the stakeholders here, 911 and first responders, telling us what they needed, partnering with them on it, Rapid SOS working on the backend tech infrastructure, 911 software vendors integrating our stuff and training and implementing that at all these agencies, over, you know, over 5,000 agencies in the United States, and then finally, obviously, big tech companies like Apple, Google, Uber, uh, et cetera, that we're partnered with, which, which you know, helped drive all this critical life-saving information across. So it's been a humbling journey, JP, with plenty of mistakes. I, I, I'm sure there will be plenty more <laughs> along the way here. But, but you know, I, if nothing else, I think the biggest takeaway was just the power of community to overcome you know, big challenges, you know, all the, all the mistakes that I would make, the, the power of the community overcame those. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that and being so candid with us because I think everyone knows that, it, you know, it's not an easy path to walk when you form a startup. But, you know, throughout the, the pitfalls and challenges, you've had a, an upward trajectory, which is great. Um, my final question for you, what do you love most about what you do? To talk to us about what you enjoy because clearly you're passionate about what you do you have a, a, a mission which everyone could get behind but but it'd be good to understand that you know what do you what do you enjoy most about what you're doing right now I, I think the most powerful thing that I love most about this is the human impact side of it so it is extraordinarily rewarding to work every day with the heroic first responders on the front lines. As, as we're recording this, there's fairly unprecedented wildfires in California right now, as an example. And over the weekend, we saw 911 traffic across California spike in some regions up over 600%, right? And what, what a privilege to try to help all those folks on the first lines that are saving lives every single day as part of this. So, partnering at the human level with the public safety community to try to solve this challenge and then the impact that you know they've been able to have with some of our technology so i, I keep with me jp in my backpack on my bedside is, is you know a book uh, and this is this is the latest one so this is from march 2020 and every page here is a life you know that that 911 was able to save you know where our technology played a you know a small part in helping make that occur and so you know, stories of, of children that were born, people that were, you know, had heart attacks, people that had domestic violence cases, just some really powerful and compelling stories. And for me, it's just the most rewarding thing every day to be able to work with the public safety community to try to solve this challenge and hopefully to help, you know, almost a million people a day that are calling 911. 
Michael, I appreciate you coming on and telling us your story and talking to us about Rapid SOS. It's it's incredible, uh, and we're very thankful for for what you're doing and the impact that it's making. And uh, we wish you all the best with your continued journey because um, this is something that will impact us all. So thank you again for your time. Thank you, JP. Great, great being on. Appreciate the time. AI in Action is brought to you by Aulus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aulus offer an exec search program. Aulus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. For more information, contact mark at aldus.com. Get the Aldus Advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. Com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.